Let's pray. Father, we do. Uh, we thank you so much, God, for your grace in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that, again, we have something recorded here that, Lord, was appropriate for a church back in the first century, and God, it's just appropriate for this church here in the 21st century. And so I do pray that as we, as we Paul closes out this letter as, in, in my mind, as he really begins to just pour out his heart, that God, it would influence us, it would impact us in our personal lives, it would impact us in, as, as a fellowship in our corporate lives so that we can impact the world. So I do pray that we would have those, those hearts that are ready to receive that, God, we would be expecting today to hear from our God, to be encouraged by what we read and strengthened, and that we can be in, in this world right now the men and women of God that you intend for us to be, that we can be influencers and changers because of our relationship with you. So I do pray you would bless this time, draw us close to you, God, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, today as we get ready to, to finish up, uh, Paul's gonna get back to the issue that started this whole thing. And the whole issue was legalism or Judaism. In the world, there are only two religions. One is you can do it on your own, a man-made religion, what you have to do for yourself. That comes in a whole bunch of flavors. And it's a lot of different flavors, but it's all the same. You've gotta do something. The other religion is God did everything for you through the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's it. You know, we can boil it down to that. Again, you've got different flavors on one, but then you have the true gospel. And this is the issue that Paul is arguing. He's at the point now where I think, I think he's wanting to just grab these guys and shake them. Remember, man, he planted this church. He put this church together. And now so easily they drifted and they got away from the truth and they got into other things. And, you know, here's what I know. We're all just as vulnerable as that church was. It's so easy to shift. And here's the thing. We might just shift a little bit today, then a little bit more tomorrow. And we're shifted into this thing. And sometimes we wake up and we go, how did I get here? One step at a time. That's how we got there. And again, I think all of us, all of us have a little bit of that legalism or I can do it on my own or man-made religion. We all have a little bit of that in ourselves because that's how we're put together. We have that sin nature. So part of us, and we got to battle that. And this is Paul's point here. He's trying to get these guys to win the battle. Hey, think about what's going on. So he starts here in verse 11. He says, see what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. So now, it was common for Paul to use a secretary. It was common for him to dictate the letter. And I would kind of, in, in my mind, I see him pacing back and forth and now write this down and get this down. And whether it's Romans or whatever, I kind of see him doing that and, and involved in the, and, and the, the, you know, this guy sitting there writing as much as he can and uh, getting it all down. But it's also common at the end of the letters for Paul to kind of sign off on him, use his own handwriting and, and sign off. 
And that's what he's doing in Galatians, but usually it's like a verse or two. Here, he picks it up seven verses early, so to speak. He picks it up real early, but he makes this unique statement here. And he goes, look at what large letters I use when I'm writing with my own hand. What on earth did Paul mean by that? Now, there's a lot of discussion out there about this. And, you know, part of it, I was a little blown away by how much discussion there is. And you can get caught up in that and miss what he says. I'm going to cover it briefly, and then I'll give you my opinion, which, by the way, is the correct opinion. And then we'll, we'll, we'll look at it. So, what, what exactly did he mean? Now, one that I think is out there a bit, the King James Version, the original, it has, see what long letters I use, and, and it's kind of like this letter is long. And I think that's just a, a, a misinterpretation, and it just kind of, because it surely isn't a long letter, and I don't think he was writing real long letters as he's writing. So I, I don't know why they did that, but that's, that's one that people bring up. Then the other one is, and probably the one that most people look at, is that Paul had some kind of eyesight difficulty, whether it was some kind of eye disease, whether it was, uh, you know, uh, uh, just he had difficulty seeing, whatever it was, and he's having to use large letters because he's, and maybe he's just at that age where he's got a, wanted a large print Bible, I don't know, you know, maybe you might say Paul wrote the first large print Bible as he ended this, so, but, but that's, that's kind of the one a lot of people talk about. Others talk about, remember, others talk about when he got stoned in Lystra that something happened and he was partially paralyzed. By the way, Bisbee people, stoned is hit with rocks. <laughs> got to remind you guys that. Because Bisbee people go, stoned? That's in the Bible? I'm liking this. So Paul, as he, as he did that, they said he was partially paralyzed and he used really large letters trying to write. Those can make sense. I believe, I believe Paul is making a point. Emphasis. When you want to write something to somebody, whether in our generation, whether it's a text or an email, and you want to yell at them, what do you do? All caps, right? Unless you're old, and then you just do all caps all the time, and you don't know why you're doing it, and you're like, quit yelling at me. But we do all caps, right? For emphasis, we do all caps. And sometimes I'll even enlarge the, you know, the font just if I really want to yell, or if I have it in my notes and I really want to see it, I'll enlarge it. I believe that's what he was doing. I believe he's saying, listen, here's what he's saying in verse 11. Do not miss what I'm about to say because, man, I'm trying to wrap this thing up and I don't want you to miss it. That's what I believe is going on because of this. If he just had an eye problem, why would he bring that up? Like, why wouldn't he say, because of my eyesight, I got to use large letters? Why, why, why would he even bring it up? I believe, listen, he's saying, you guys, I'm using big letters for a reason. I'm not just an old person that my caps, to, you know, uh, a thing got stuck and I'm just doing it. I want you to listen up. I want you to pay attention. Why? Because what Paul is talking about here in these next six verses or six or seven verses is so important and emphatic 
on the whole letter and on all of Christianity, not just the first century Christianity. It's something that influences all of us. So that's my opinion that he's trying to make an emphasis. And yes, I know a lot of you are gonna go out and tell me, no, he had bad eyesight. That's fine, I don't care. I had like five people tell me last night, you're wrong. And I went, okay, thank you. So if you wanna tell me that, that's fine. I'll accept it. But listen, see what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. So he's taking the pencil away or the, the whatever he's writing. And he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now listen what he's saying. There is that group of people in Galatia that their whole purpose is to convert you and to get you to be circumcised and follow after them. And one of the reasons is, hey, they didn't want to suffer for the cross. Remember, in that generation, these guys were persecuted. There was real persecution going on. It was really happening to them. It was a real deal. And if you took a really, really strong stand for the cross, chances are you were going to be persecuted, especially if you came out of Judaism. Remember, they come out of Judaism, they lose family, they lose business, they lose culture, they lose society, they lose friendship, they're ostracized, and they're pushed out. So all you had to do, listen, here's what they're saying. All you have to do is, yeah, you can be a Christian, but you can be circumcised too. And if you're circumcised, you'll appease these guys and it won't be as hard on you. Little baby steps. You're starting to give in. And the interesting thing is, he says that they compel you. When he's saying compel, here's what he, they kind of they force you into it. Have you, have you ever had somebody try to force you into a decision that you really didn't want to make? I sometimes think of, I got in trouble last night. I'll get in trouble now. I'll just say it. Reminds me of car salesmen, right? They compel you to buy that. What can we do to make this deal? You're not going to walk out of here, are you? You're not going to leave this room right now. Come on. And, and they kind of, or how about this? How about the cults? You need to make a decision right now. You don't want to walk away. Listen to, I'm telling you the truth. You walk away. And, and so they compel you. They push you. They have, a, they have a motive. So here's what he's saying. These guys are coming at you in such a way. Oh, by the way, I can pick on a few Christian evangelists. I've heard some, like, they will berate people into saying the sinner's prayer. I don't think those people are getting saved. They're just, like, trying to get that person off their back. You know, I'll say anything if you'll just leave. So... These guys are doing that, but they don't want to suffer persecution. Part of the persecution is coming from Jews, but the majority of it's coming from Rome. And you might say, well, what does Rome care? Let's think about that for a moment. Judaism was accepted by Rome. It was an accepted part. They left the Jews alone. They let them practice their Judaism. They left them alone. So if you don't want to suffer persecution, here's what you can do. Yet you can be a Christian, but if you get circumcised, here's what you're saying. What I'm doing is just a different sect of Judaism. And now you're safe with the Romans. 
So that's what these guys are doing, and, and they're doing it by the way, I hope you notice. He says that they're trying to make a good showing in the flesh. They're trying to impress somebody, and they're trying to do that. Then he says, four, in verse 13, not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they might boast, that they may boast in your flesh. Listen, man, the biggest hypocrites, I think, are legalists. I can kind of say that because I used to be one. And as legalists, you think what you do is okay, but what everybody else does is wrong. And you begin to judge people, you begin to get on people, and he's saying, these guys, these guys didn't bother to keep the law. Here's what they're doing. They're all about some external thing. This external thing was circumcision. Now, I believe, listen, I believe this is alive and well in the church today. Not circumcision so much. I don't think we get hassles about that too much. Last night, somebody was gonna give me a coupon for circumcision because they said, you know, yeah, it's still alive and well. So I don't, I don't think, listen, people are not coming and, 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 and trying, to, trying to convince us that we need to go get circumcised. I don't think that's as much as an issue, but we put other things in there. Church, we do it. And we begin to put tradition in and it begins to lessen the impact of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful of that. And he says, hey, these guys are doing that and they're, listen, they're not even keeping all of these laws they make, all of the, you know, the laws. And again, we've talked about 613. How on earth could you keep track of 613 laws? You can't, right? And I'd like to hassle us. We don't even do well with the top 10. Right, we blow those. We don't even do really good with the two. So listen, man, he, these guys are going around saying, well, we're okay because we're circumcised. Do you ever hear anybody say, I'm okay because, fill in the blank? I'm all right, I go to church. I'm all right, I go to Calvary Chapel every weekend. Seriously, that makes you all right? Think about it. I'm all right, I got baptized. And we get into plug things in and hey how about this one I'm all right I'm reading my Bible through the year I'm caught up doesn't matter you see these guys do that but then but then there's so much more they leave out and so much they you know they ignore and they don't do so man Paul here is saying Listen up, here's what he's saying. Look at the large letters I'm using. These guys are compelling you to do something external that is not gonna do you any good. And they're doing it mostly because they wanna boast. They wanna say, look how many we have. You know, it's, it's amazing to me watching, watching the church around America and seeing what's going on. And I'm, I'm especially drawn into the hipster church the younger hipster people doing church and, and seeing how they're doing church. And, and most of the younger hipster guys that I see, that I interact with, most of them are doing stuff the church did 50 years ago. And they're doing things like this. They have a board. Did you, did you ever go to a church that had a board up on the sidewall on how many attended, how many converts, how much? They're doing that. And I'm thinking, why are you doing that? That is just weird. Or some in their bulletin. The big thing with the hipster guys now in their bulletin. This is how many people, this is how many people came. This is how many people made a commitment. This is how much money came in. I'm going, that's weird. Like here at our church, we don't count. Years ago, 
Somebody told me at a conference, don't ever count people, but remember that people count. And we gotta keep that in our, hey, it's about ministry. It's not about how many. It's not about who you have or, or how big. It always bothers me when, and especially when guys come up and do this. You go to conferences and different guys and, hey, how many are you running? Like, I don't, I'm, what do you think? We got a cattle ranch or something? What are you talking about? How many are we running? I always ask them that. Why would you use that term? Like, we're not, you know, I know we're in Arizona, but we're not all ranchers. And they go, really, really, how many people are coming? Here's what I tell them. My favorite answer is this. We got between one and 6,000. Because we do have between one person and 6,000 people. And you just say it that way and they go, wow, really? And then the conversation's over. It doesn't matter. What does that, are we gonna start boasting in people's flesh? That's not what it's about. And Paul here says, stop. We don't even have a membership in our church. We get in so much trouble. People will ask us, how do I join this church? I go, it's really easy. Give your life to Jesus Christ. And you can be part of the church. And that makes you part of the church. So Paul says, man, watch these guys. They're not doing that. And all they want to do is boast in your flesh. So that's, not, that's enough about them for right now. So listen, he set this up, and here's what it's about. It's all about what man can do and how man can do it. Look at the large letters I'm using. Look at what they're doing to you. Pay attention what they're doing to you. And then I love, but in verse 14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Man, I love that. Listen, man, he is like, adamant about this and I think the letters on this section got even bigger he says God forbid that I would do anything but boast in Jesus Christ or he says Christ Jesus here what he's not going to boast listen if anybody had a right to boast I think in the history of the church I think it would be Paul Look at how he was raised. Look at the education he had. Look at the things that he had accomplished as a young rabbi. What had happened in his life. All of those things. And, hey, you can read about him in Philippians. I'm not going to tell you what chapter. It's a short book. Read the whole book. But, hey, he starts that whole list, right? And he goes, man, listen, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. And I was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And for zeal, man, nobody had zeal like. And he lists that whole thing. But at the end, what does he say? I count it all as Dung. The newer translations try and clean that up, right? They like, don't like the Bible using that term, so they say it's rubbish. No, Paul said dung. We know what dung is, right? I don't have to explain that. If you don't know what it is, Google it. <laughs> Listen to what he's saying, though. None of that, none of that. I mean, it's, it's gross to him compared to the knowledge of Christ. God forbid, he says, that I would boast in anything except Christ Jesus. Now, here's an interesting little fact you can go back and check out. 45 times in this letter, Paul brings up Jesus. He brings up either Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus, however he puts it, 45 times. If you kind of do some math and do an algorithm and figure that out, one-third of the verses, so every third verse has something about Jesus in it. So what do you think Galatians is about? It's about Jesus, huh? 
And he says, I'm not going to boast in anything but Jesus and what he's done in my life. Saints, that should be where we're at. Everything that we do should be all about him and letting others know about him, letting others know what he has done. I, I think for me personally, I don't have a hard time because I know who I am. And there is no way I could boast in what's happened in this church. God has blessed this church to me beyond measure, beyond, beyond, it's mind-blowing to me what has happened because I know me. I know who I am, and I know I'm not capable. Someone one time accused me of something, and I go, seriously? You really think I'm that good that I could pull that off? I go, you don't know me. I know who I am, and I know that this is the work of God. I know that he's doing something. I had somebody several years ago tell me that they thought I was the worst invitation giver ever of inviting people to accept the Lord. I, I, here's what I told them. Thank you. Because if I'm that bad at it and people still get saved, whoa, what does that tell you? Huh? I think it's great, man. I, I kind of like that. I kind of wear that as a badge. I want to make a little thing, worst ever. But Paul says, listen, man, I'm not going to boast. And, 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 you know, I think he had reason to boast, and he's not going to do it. But some of us, we know who we are, and we know where we came from, and we know what has happened, and we know that there's no way we could do it. So we're boasting in Jesus. And then even he goes beyond that, and he goes, listen, I'm boasting in Jesus, not just in what he's done in my ministry, but he's boasting in Jesus for, for the fact that by the Lord Jesus Christ, he, the world has been crucified to him and him to the world. Now, he's kind of brought this up in different ways, right? He's brought it up earlier. He's dead to the world. He's brought it up earlier that, you know, the life he lives now, he lives by faith in Christ and, and all of that. And so some of us, do you guys ever read that and think, well, the world kind of hassles me all the time. Do you ever think about, man, the temptations you have, the things you go through, the times you mess up? And so you got to read this and go, I'm not sure the world's been crucified to me or me to the world. Because I think we have a misunderstanding. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying that the world has no longer any influence in our lives, because that, be, that would be a false statement. What he's saying is the world no longer has dominion over us. We're no longer in bondage to the world. That is done and away with. And oftentimes, though, we forget. And as we're walking in life and as we're doing life, something comes along and we're kind of like, ooh. When that happens to you, here's what you need to say in your heart. Wait a minute. I've been crucified to the world. The world's crucified to me. I don't have to give in to that. I don't have to let that temptation grab me. I don't have to let that specific thing get a hold of me. If we would remind ourselves of that more often, Thursday night we started the study in Ephesians. I love, I would like to just camp in like the first three verses of Ephesians because I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly realm. Every, not one, not two, every. And if I start walking in that, I start believing that, then you know what, man? The world becomes less and less and less to me, and Jesus becomes more and more and more. And this is what Paul's saying. We need to be people who we start believing when God says something. This is what's happened to you. 
and you need to believe it. Now he goes on and he says, verse 15, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. That goes along with being crucified to the world. You're a new creation in Christ. I believe that with all my heart. Now, I do have the privilege of serving the Lord close to where I grew up. And some of you go to Bisbee occasionally, and some of you have mentioned my name to people, and you come back and tell me, and the people that know me, here's what they say, seriously? He is pastoring a church? And then I'll usually say this, what kind of church is it? (laughs) And here's what I tell people to tell them, Oh, no, that was the other Pat. I know Pat 2.0, right? Listen, I know the new creation. That was the old me, and that's not me anymore. And if we begin to believe that, listen, I'm a new creation. You're not, listen, you're not a remodeled. You know, like some people are really into remodeling houses. I remodeled two houses, and I built two houses. And I gotta tell you something. I like building from ground up better than remodel. You remodel something, and I don't know about you guys, but when I remodeled houses, I always knew the backstory. I knew what was hidden. I knew what was behind the drywall. I knew what I left. I knew the, like, stuff that was there. And I'm going, eh, it's just a remodeled house. Saints, you're not just a remodel. You're new. Hallelujah, huh? You're new. And he says, we're a new creation. And and listen, man, if we begin to walk in that and we begin to understand that the world's been crucified to us, we're going to live differently. We're gonna look at the world differently. We're gonna look at those around us and things around us differently because, listen, we're walking in some truth and we're not believing the lie of the enemy and we're not gonna let him get us down. And and I I just see this and I see Paul going, and I'm going, yes, But let's not forget what he says. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision mean anything. None of that means anything. Baptism, reading your Bible, church attendance, prayer, whatever you want to plug in there, that doesn't mean anything. It's the new creation. I crack up when people say, well, you know, I was baptized. Well, you know what? If you were baptized and you're not born again, you're just a wet sinner is all you are. You know, it's like, come on, that didn't change anything. And when people do that, if nothing is changed, then nothing happened. You're just going through rituals, and this is his point here. He's going, don't boast in circumcision. Oh, on the other hand, don't boast in uncircumcision. That'd be kind of weird, but don't boast in that. Boast in what Jesus has done and what Christ has done. And we need to be people, hey, when people talk to me, and then I love it, man, Well, were you baptized correctly? What? What is correctly? Well, you know, real Christians, and fill in the blank. We used to battle that really bad in Mexico where we would minister to the tribal people because there was a group of of, uh, the Pentecostal movement that believed that you you had to baptize in Jesus' name. So if we baptize them and we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Pentecostal movement wouldn't accept them. 
So we would just baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, and then it would take care of it for them. I mean, see those little silly things? We look at, and we, if we're honest, we all add some little silly thing. Now, I tell people, as far as baptism, I'm covered. I was sprinkled. I was sprinkled with wine. I've been immersed, and I've been baptized in a Jordan. I am in. You know, I've got it all covered. When I was a little guy in the Serbian Orthodox Church, they did their thing with sprinkling, and for whatever reason, because it's a bunch of Serbians, they sprinkle you with wine for I don't know why, but that was part of what they did. Saints, none of that means anything. The only thing that matters is a new creation. And if you're a new creation, you are dead to this world. Once again, doesn't mean the world's gone. It means that the world no longer has bondage over you, no longer has dominion over you. So listen, man, he says that stuff. And, and I got to tell you, man, I'm going, yes. And then a little bit more because you know what? I, I don't live a perfect life and I haven't done all the right things. Like, you know, it cracks me up. Some people will, will like sing a hymn and go, oh, that hymn just, just reminds me of, I don't have that background. We had Gregarian chanting when I went to church. And, and you know, it's like, and, and, or, or how about Father Abraham? All you guys know Father Abraham? Not me. I didn't grow up with that. Again, grew up with chanting going on. So, you know, here's the thing. And we begin to, listen, we begin to put hope in that stuff. None of that matters because you're a new creation. Then he says this, in verse 16 he says, as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. I don't really even like verse 16. Verse 16 is one of those verses that I wouldn't mind having a black highlighter for. It's like, Paul, like what are you talking about? Number one, why would he bring up Israel of God when he's just done this heavy teaching against Judaizers and what they're doing? Why would he bring them up in that fashion that they would have peace and mercy? I can understand mercy, but peace? Then they need to get saved, right? Are you guys with me? And then here's the, here's the crazy thing. This is a verse that people use to say the church now is the Israel of God. And what he's talking about is the church, not the nation of Israel, not the people of Israel. We have not replaced Israel. I cannot emphasize that enough. Israel is Israel. The church is the church. God made a covenant with Israel and he made a covenant with the church Two separate things you can't, listen, you cannot begin to blend them and stick them in your little, you know, blend tech and, and put them together. They're two separate things. And God dealt with Israel. Israel decided. They didn't want to follow God. They didn't want to accept the Messiah. The church was born. Now, I've read my Bible at the end. He's going to deal with Israel. He's not done with Israel. He's going to deal with them again. And it's Israel, not the church. So I don't think, I don't use that for this. And, and you know, I got, I, I, and, and I got to be really honest. If you walk by this rule, I thought we just talked about no rules, Paul. Why do you say that? Now, I believe the rule he's talking about is that you walk according to believing in the cross, in Jesus Christ. Oh, by the way, when Paul says the cross, he's not talking about some chunk of wood. I think we all know that, right? Again, the church is kind of 
taking that emblem. And do you know the early church would have never, ever, the first century of church would have never put a cross in their building, ever. They wouldn't have put it on their building. They wouldn't have wore it as jewelry. They wouldn't have got close to the cross because for them, the cross meant one thing, execution. So it's kind of funny, you know, sometimes we get stuff. How, what happened to the cross? Where's the cross? Paul's not talking about that. Paul is talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ when he brings up the cross. He's not talking about that wooden thing. He's talking about what he's done. And so now when he says, follow this rule, I think the rule he's talking about is that we have to have that faith in the cross, that faith in Jesus. That's the rule. And if we follow that, then we're going to have peace and mercy. Now, because this kind of stumbled me, caused me to study it a little bit more and look into it a little bit more. According to Greek experts, I am by no means a Greek expert. I'm not even close. I'm not even suspicious. I just want, I want to make that clear. I'm not a Greek expert. I have tools. I have a computer that can help me out. According to the Greek experts, the way this thing is put together is really complicated. The conjunction and is in two or three different places in the original and the way it's written. So it makes it a little bit harder. How did he exactly, and how, what was he saying, and how was it coming across? So again, me not being an expert, I read that, I looked at that, and one person came up according to their, and they're, they're a Greek expert, they're a grammarian, of, and, and here's what they say. According to the way it's written, it would be best to translate it this way. As many, show, as, as many as shall walk by this rule, peace be upon them. And may there be mercy also upon the Israel of God. Now that makes more sense to me. And again, it's because of the conjunction and, right? Remember conjunction, junction stuff? Yeah, and is a conjunction. So it's the way it's in there a couple times. So they're saying you separate it and you put and the mercy be upon the Israel of God. That makes sense to me because Paul had a heart for Israel. So having said enough about that, we're gonna move on. Verse 17, you guys can, again, you can debate that and argue that. I'm going that way. Verse 17, for now, for, from now on, let no one trouble me. Here's what I think Paul's saying. We're done discussing this. It's over. I've showed you. I've given it to you. We're not going to discuss this anymore. It's a closed deal. Stop following them. Start following Jesus. And he says, so let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. And then he ends it with, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, your spirit. Amen. Brother, here, here he, here's what he says. From now on, let nobody trouble me. And I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What was he talking about? Again, the original language is that word we get stigmata from. I think a lot of us are familiar with the whole stigmata, right? Francis of Assisi supposedly meditated on the Lord enough where he got the marks of Jesus on his hands and on his feet and the scar on his side. And, and there's that whole mysticism about that. That's not what Paul's talking about. What is Paul talking about? The marks on his body. We gotta read 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, he lists, right? Nine times I've had 40 lashes. Three times I've been beaten with rods. I mean, this guy's body, this guy's body had to be a piece of work. He was stoned. 
Remember, when they stone people, they're not like, and, and some of you guys freak out. Growing up in Bisbee, we had rock fights. We threw rocks at each other. People go, wow, you guys were savages. It was normal. That's a kid growing up. Garbage can lid, perfect shield. That's how we did things. We went out and threw rocks at each other. And they were, we didn't throw big. They were little ones. That's not stoning. Stoning in the Old Testament was big rocks. And you made sure that a person was dead. So he was stoned. All the stuff that happened to him. Here's what he's saying. Look at this body. And look what's gone on on this body. Those are the marks of Jesus that I'm wearing proudly because I am serving him. I'm not serving a system. I'm not serving a whatever. I'm serving Jesus. Now, that word was used, and I think it's important for us to understand why he would say that at the end of this letter, because that word was used, hey, if a slave ran away in that day, they branded them when they brought them back. They stigmated them. I don't know if that's proper, but they marked them. They marked them so everybody knew, that's my slave. If you served in the military under a special, you know, like, like some of our special ops guys and some of our guys do it, they would get a mark on them to prove that they were part of that unit. And it would show everybody, I got the mark of the unit, wherever they put it, I don't know, I do an arm, I don't know why. But they would do that, and, and they would mark themselves. Some, someone uh, did say they even put it on their forehead. Weird place to put a tattoo. When people tattoo their foreheads now, what do we think? Weird. So, but anyway, and then, here's the kicker. Those who were devoted to false gods, they would get marks on their body, tattoos of some sort, to show that they belong to that person. Do you get what Paul's saying? He's making it very clear to these people. He's devoted to Jesus Christ and him alone. And he lets them know that. And then, and then I, for one, I think, I think the ending's kind of abrupt. Like we're doing this stuff and we're going down and we're learning, don't do this, do this, walk this way, don't walk that way. And then he just does this, well, bye, and he's gone, right? It's like... Wow, there's not, I, I want a little bit more. I like, I, personally, I'm not done with Galatians. And then he just does that. Brethren, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul, a little brief. But couldn't he have written something else? Couldn't have you given us a little bit more? No, nope, I'm done. My wife's grandfather, he was a character. Kind of a quiet guy. And he would come and visit and when he was done, he was done. And he would just get up and walk out. Like I was working on my car one time and he comes and we're talking. We're talking back and forth. And my head's in the car and I'm talking. I turn around, he's, ha, he's way down the road. He was done and he just walks off. That's what he would do. He would just, when Pa Hogan was done, he was gone. And that's kind of what I think Paul. Paul was done, he's going, bye. I wasn't done. I wanted a little bit more of Galatians. Do you ever read through one of the letters or study through one of the letters and think, I want a little bit more? As a teacher, here's what I do every time. I finish this up and here's what I think. Maybe we should do that again because I think we could get a little bit more. We could squeeze a little bit more out of it. And I always feel that when I'm at the end of a study. But here's what Paul says. He does say, listen, here's what I love. In chapter one, verse three, I think it's verse two. He starts with grace. 
In chapter 6, verse 18, he ends with grace. Pretty interesting, isn't it? This man's all about grace. And when grace gets a hold of our hearts, nothing else matters. Let's remember that. And by the way, I always like to comment, amen. When I first got saved, I looked up amen. Everybody's saying it. I had no idea what it meant. It's just a Christianese, right? I looked it up. It does not mean over and out, I'm done. Amen means may it be so. And here's what he's saying. He's saying to them and to us, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May it be so. Yeah. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we look at this. We thank you, God, for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the challenge that it brings in our lives. I thank you that it causes us to stop and think in our own walk with you. What kind of peripheral stuff have we brought in? What kind of things have we drug in making them part of, uh, of having a relationship with Jesus Christ? And then I thank you most of all for that gift of repentance we can change, we can confess that, we can get that, we can get rid of that, we can, we can be more uh, focused on you and the relationship with you. And so I thank you that your word ministers to our hearts and where we're at. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're watching online and you're part of our online fellowship now and, and hey, maybe somebody invited you over to their house and they, they, they got you to watch us or maybe you just, like somebody shared it on Facebook or maybe even just happened by our website and you're watching and you don't know Jesus, man, right now is the time to do it. Here's how you can get that relationship with Jesus. You need to be honest with him and let God know that you know you're a sinner. Now, listen, you're not telling him you're a sinner so that he knows. He already knows. He wants you to know that you know that you have violated a holy God, that you've come against him, and that you're sorry for that. And then you need to understand the wages of sinning against God. The thing that you earned is separation. We call it damnation. Separation from him. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came and went to the cross that we've been talking about this morning, died for you, and he took your punishment upon himself. In other words, that, that separation from God, he brought upon himself. And now here this morning, he holds out to you this receipt that says, hey, your debt is paid in full. I took care of it. And all you have to do is take that from him. And in order to do that, that's what we call calling on his name or saying a prayer. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And you can say this prayer out loud. You can say it silently. It's gotta come from your heart. By the way, if you're backslidden, and I know a lot of people are starting to go to church during this time because they're backslidden, been away from the Lord for a while. If that's you, if I'm talking to you, you know what, come home, come back to Jesus. You can say this prayer with us and come back. He desires for you to come back. So again, out loud or silent, doesn't matter, sincerity matters. Jesus, 
today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.